go to the book of Numbers, the book of Numbers chapter. Numbers chapter number 24 tonight. Well, as many times as I've told you, we've been studying the the uh, book of Numbers here, and we've been going through the life of Moses, but we kind of took a little hiatus here because we stopped and began to look at this uh, strange character named Balaam, the false prophet, the sorcerer. And uh, no matter how many times I've told you that God can do as He pleases, and He can do as He will, and He can use who He wants to use, it still confuses me why you, why you use Balaam. I, I don't understand it, and I'm not going to pretend to understand that. Um, but we know that he did, and we have to trust that and uh, see that he did so. But he does so for his own design and his own purposes. But also, uh, I think, is a great psalm that says that he will laugh at the heathen and have them in derision. Uh, God, I think, every once in a while has a good chuckle in heaven over those that think they can stop the purposes of God. They think that they can maybe thwart God's purposes, misalign God's judgments, but God in heaven is looking down saying, you can't stop me. You can't, you can't stop the Lord. Amen? And... Um, God might not do anything to anybody. He might not even judge the wicked on this earth. But I will tell you one thing about God, a secret, okay? Are you ready for this? God will outlive the wicked, okay? He, he's going he's gonna to outlive them. And so, I mean, I know that may come of a shock to all of you here tonight. But at the very least, God is going to outlive all of those wicked doers. He's, in, he's eternal. And uh, He is going to make sure that they are judged in the end. And tonight, we're going to be seeing our final prophecy from the life of Balaam. His final prophecy. And uh, we're going to be seeing a message I've entitled, An All-Conquering King. An All-Conquering King. King. Christ is the conqueror. He is the conqueror. Christ is the victor. Christ is the overcomer. And Balaam has one more prophecy for Balak, and that is really the theme, is that this, there is somebody coming that is greater than all the kings of all the world, and he is going to make a judgment that will be greater than anybody else has ever seen. In fact, the last prophecy is unique in that uh, out of the four prophecies, this is the only prophecy that the king, uh, Balak, does not request. He doesn't, he tell, in fact, in uh, uh, just a few verses before what we're going to be reading that tonight, uh, Balak has told Balaam to be quiet. He, said, he says, don't bless the children of Israel and don't curse the children of Israel. Don't do anything. Just hush your mouth. All right, get out of here. 
And the Spirit of God again comes over Balaam. Uh, kind of like uh, if you remember some of your Bible reading, uh, whenever the Bible gives us that proverb about the King Saul, where it says, uh, is Saul also among the prophets? Uh, and uh, that's kind of like Balaam. Nobody expected him to give the word of God. Nobody expected Saul to get out there and prophesy or anything like that. He wasn't that kind of person. But God, in his uh, great ministry and his great word and in his great bidding, may be able to open the mouths of these people and do as he pleases with them. But Balak cannot keep him quiet. Balaam himself cannot keep himself quiet. So God will open his mouth again in order to show us a great thing. And even in our time today, there are those that have been members or have been a part of or have got invited to or somehow got involved with some apostate or heretical church and they have been underneath the ministry of even somebody that was, did not preach the gospel like they ought to. And yet, in a, even in a situation, in a scenario like that, I've talked to folks that have heard the gospel clear enough, uh, even in situations like that, where they have actually accepted Christ and believed upon Him. God can do as He pleases. Uh, I know there are some people that are out there who say, well, uh, you can only get saved in a certain type of church or a Baptist church or a, or a Methodist church or this church or that church. But listen, God doesn't save people in a church and He doesn't save people by a denomination. He saves them by the gospel. That's how you get saved is by the gospel of Jesus Christ the Lord. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul declared the gospel plainly, didn't he, in 1 Corinthians 15 when he said that this is the gospel. He told us, he said that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he rose again, that he was buried and they rose again according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. That's the gospel. And all that will heed it and obey it and listen to it shall be saved. And Balaam here gives us this last prophecy. And it begins for us in verse number 15. The Bible says for us, And he took up this parable and said, Balaam the son of Beor hath said, And the man whose eyes hath opened hath said, He hath said, Which heard the words of God, And knew the knowledge of the Most High, Which saw the vision of the Almighty fallen into a trance, But having his eyes open, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy the children of Sheth. And the Edom shall be a possession of, uh, for Seir, and also for a possession of his enemies. And Israel shall do valiantly. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion, and shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. And when he looked on Amalek, he took up his parable and said, Amalek was the first of the nations. But his latter end shall be that he perish forever. And he looked on the Kenites and took up his parable and said, Strong is thy dwelling place, and thou puttest thy nest in a rock. Nevertheless, the Kenites shall be wasted until Asher shall carry thee away captive. And he took up his parable and said, Alas, who shall live when God doeth this? And ships shall come from the coast of Chittim and afflict Asher and shall afflict Eber. And he shall also perish forever. 
And Balaam rose up and returned to his place, and Balak also went his way. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the word. We're thankful for your many blessings. Thankful that we can count our blessings and name them one by one. We pray that, Father, the Lord will trust you no matter the outcome, the situation, or the problem in our life. Father, I pray that you please give me strength tonight. Lord, I don't have it. I don't have the words to say, Father, to be able to communicate the message that you want to to your people. And if there's one lost here tonight that doesn't owe Christ a Savior, may the Lord they be saved too. Well, thank you for it. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. As I was saying, Balaam was this prophet that came to deliver the message of God, but yet he was not a follower of God. You know, that's really reminiscent of another passage in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 7. If you want to turn over there, you can. If, if not, then I'll just scoot on over there as fast as I can and read this to you. But Matthew chapter number 7, verse number 21. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us that there will come those that say they know the Lord, but God does not know them. The Bible says in Matthew 7 and verse number 21, it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. See, there will be some that will come in that day of judgment that will actually say to the Lord, we have prophesied in thy name. Balaam will be one of those people who prophesied in God's name. And actually God's word was spoken through him. But yet he was not a follower of God. God does not know them. You know, it's important that we know God. Amen. But what's more important is that God knows us, that we are his children, that we are the sheep of his pasture, that we are his child, that we are his sons and daughters, that we have come into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way to be connected to God. The father is through his son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches us that there is only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But that being said here tonight is that Balaam knew about God, but he did not know God. And as we'll see later on, he would take his knowledge of God and of Israel and instead of repenting and not cursing, but rather he would use this knowledge that he had of God and of Israel to bring about a plot and a plan to bring about the downfall and destruction of Israel. His heart does not change. His life does not change. But now we see him underneath the spell of God, if you will. He has tried to put God under a spell, and God has put him under one. Isn't that awesome? I mean, he is out there trying to drag up these enchantments, and then finally, it's just enough is enough. And in the last two prophecies, we read that he falls into a trance, his eyes being open, but he not doing or being able to do what he wants to do. God has total control over him. You say, can God still do that? He can. 
He can. I'll never forget, I was at a funeral one time, and uh, man, I, was, I got up there and I preached the gospel, and I wasn't even supposed to preach uh, that day. You know, when you're a preacher and you go to a funeral, that's always a dangerous situation, okay? You, just, you better bring a Bible and you better bring a message because you might just, somebody might just say, hey, uh, uh, the priest can't make it today. We need you to say something, you know? That happened to me on another, that was another funeral, all right? This happened to me, I've, been, I've preached a couple of funerals that I didn't want to preach at, and I didn't know I was going to preach at and that until somebody said, hey, you're preaching. And I said, okay, yeah. And uh, so I was at this one funeral, and I got up there and preached the Word, and, uh, and uh, Destiny was there. And she was, she can testify to what I'm saying. And uh, there was this man in the back as I was preaching the whole time. He was back there cussing and carrying on. He was mad that I was preaching the gospel. And uh, he was saying that this isn't what we need here at this kind of funeral and da-da-da-da-da. And uh, the preacher actually gave us, uh, gave everybody a chance to say something. And that man raised his hand and, uh, and the folks that were around him were a little nervous about what he was going to say. And uh, he got up there, and he was getting ready to uh, rant and to rave. And then all of a sudden, the Lord struck that man. And uh, he almost went into a trance and stood there and looked at everybody. And the preacher said, did you want to say something? And he stood there, and he said, did you want to say something, sir? And he said, I totally forgot what I was going to say. And he went and sat down. I've seen God's, I've seen God's hand work. I've seen God strike somebody just in a trance, in a, in, a, in a moment where they didn't realize what was going to happen, what they were doing. You see, the devil is not stronger than God. Amen? And we might sometimes have to experience the persecution of the devil. But other times, God may just stop it just how he sees fit. So Balaam is out to curse the people of God, but he's given in and he knows it's of no use. And instead, tonight we get a message of hope, of victory, and of the vengeance of God. God gets the last laugh. God will win the battle. Jesus Christ wins in the end, is what we're seeing here tonight. Christ is the conqueror. And this is a message for all of us that are saved. Christ is the victor. And we are more than conquerors. I love that song that says, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us so. We are. We're more than that. And because we have Christ as our conqueror. Notice here in our text, first of all, that the Bible tells us in verse number 17 that a powerful king is coming. Number one, uh, if you're taking notes, I might say it like this. Christ is the victor. A powerful king is coming because Christ is that king. He is the victor. He says, I shall see him, but not nigh, he says. I shall behold him, but, or I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. It's not going to come near me. It's not going to be in my lifetime, says Balaam. He says, Balaam is saying, there's a king more powerful than you that's coming, Balak, that uh, you and me are not going to see. We're not going to experience this king. He's going to come later on. And uh, some commentators think that perhaps this is a reference to David, the king. And I'm in agreement with that in some ways because David does do some of these things. In fact, uh, if you go on down in the text a little bit, in verse number 20, the Bible says, And when he looked on Amalek, this is another nation, uh, one of the nations that were around them, he took up his parable and said, Amalek was the first of the nations, but his latter end shall be that he perished forever. Uh, Amalek was 
uh, ultimately subdued by David and his men. And uh, Saul tried his best, but he couldn't get them beat because of his own fleshly attitude. But David finally subdued this nation. And so this is a prophecy, if you will, about David, that David is coming and there's a strong king coming that's going to take over the nations and he's going to be put these nations under his thumb and he did so. Uh, First Chronicles chapter number 18 and verse number 11 tells us that David put Edom and he put Amalek and he put the rest of them under his thumb. He subdued these nations. But David's never called a morning star. And David is never called or thought about as one having a scepter in his hand. The reference that is spoken of here may partially represent David, but ultimately it represents Jesus. It ultimately represents Jesus. Jesus is called the star. He says there's going to come a star out of Jacob. A star out of of Jacob. Matthew chapter number 2 and verses 2 through 9, what are the wise men looking for when they're coming that way? Anybody want to take a guess? You can say it out loud, it's okay. They're looking for a star. How is it that these wise men knew about a star? You know where, anybody want to take a guess by chance where Balaam is from? He's from the east. He's from the east. He's not from Jerusalem. He's not from the Canaan land. He's from the east. This prophecy that rose out of Balaam's own mouth by God's own hand is something that was brought back with him. Who else talks about a star? Daniel. Daniel. Where was Daniel at his whole life? In the east. East. That way. He's that way, all right? Uh, In the east, all right? Where did these magi come from? They came in Matthew 2. They came from the east. See, it all ties back here to Jesus Christ. And it ties back to this prophecy and to Daniel and to the magi. They said, we have seen, what do they say? We have seen His star and have come to worship Him. We have seen His star. They came because of the star. In fact, Jesus at his birth in Luke chapter number 1 in verse number 79, he is called the day spring. He says, he says uh, there's the day spring has arose. What's the day spring? That's the morning star. What's the morning star in our terminology today? It's the sun. What is the sun? The sun is a star. It has risen upon us. And the Bible is relating that there's one coming that's brighter than the sun and brighter than a star and brighter than the moon. It is Jesus Christ the Lord. He is brighter than all of these things. Peter references him in 2 Peter chapter number 1 in verse number 19. I'll go ahead and read that to you, but I'd like for you to turn to Revelation chapter 22 and verse number 16. Revelation 22, 16. First Peter 1 in verse number 19, the Bible tells us this. Peter writing to us here. He 
He says, wherefore, we says, we have a sure, more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn, until the day star arise in your hearts. And Jesus himself in Revelation 22 and verse number 16, if you've got a red letter edition of your Bible, you might see it like this, these words in red because Jesus is saying, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright and morning star. What does Jesus call himself in the book of John? He calls him, he says, I am the light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Jesus says, I am the light. What does a star put off? Light. Jesus says, I am it. I am this morning star. I am the star that comes out of Jacob. Secondly, we see that Jesus is the scepter. Jesus is the king of kings. In Genesis chapter number 42 and verse 49 and verse number 10, the Bible says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver between his feet, until Shiloh come, and until him that gathering of the people shall be. The Bible has already prophesied to us, Jacob has already given us a prophecy, that out of Judah shall rise a scepter, that is a kingdom, that will come out of there. In fact, the Psalms repeats this, and so does Hebrews. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Thy scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. And then in Luke, we read this. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And his kingdom, there shall be no end. These two words, star and scepter, though, they represent for us something very awesome for us, something great. And that is to show to us that Jesus Christ is both God and he is man. He has come to us. He is the light that lightens every man's heart, every person's heart. But he is also the ruler over all mankind. He is both. He is both star and he is both scepter. Christ is the victor. Christ is the king of kings. As we learned about this morning and with uh, dealing with King Nebuchadnezzar and, uh, and how uh, he was humbled and all those kinds of things. But we learned from his life that there is a king coming, king coming that is from generation to generation. A king that lives from one generation to another to another. He is a king of kings and he is a lord of lords. Christ is the victor. Christ is the victor. And you know what, folks? He says, I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. You know what? I don't know when Jesus is coming, but I can tell you this, it's a whole lot sooner than it was in Balaam's day. Amen? It's a whole lot closer than it was in Balaam's day. If Balaam said, I shall see him, but not now, I'm going to see him in a little while. It's not going to be long. If Balaam said it wasn't going to be long, then how, long, how much longer is it is for us? If Paul said almost over 1,900 years ago, if Paul said that we need to wait for the Son of God is coming, is, is, is a redemption, it's drawing nigh, it's getting close. If that was 1,900 years ago, how much sooner is it today? Is it today? And that's my second point. Is that Christ is the victor. Secondly, 
the nations will fall into His hands. The nations will fall into His hands. And in our text here, we have a list of nations. You have Moab. You have Edom in verse 18. You have Amalek in verse number 20. You've got the Kenites in verse number 21. You've got Asher in verse 22. You've got, uh, you've got Chittim and Eber in verse number 24. You've got all these nations. Now, I was really hoping that in my study, I would be able to come up with something kind of fancy for you and tell you what all these nations mean. But even all my fancy commentaries and scholars all say there's really no real reason to why all these nations are here. <laughs> so I don't, I, it's hard for us to know exactly what all of these nations mean. I believe there are some good points for us here tonight about some of them. But there is a general point that needs to be made, and that is this, is that when you see all of these nations, and these are a representation of the most powerful nations that were upon the earth at this time. Even nations that were to come. As it says, that there will come ships out of the coast of Chittim. Now there wasn't a place called Rome back then. But Chittim is coming from the area of Rome and Italy. There was a prophecy that there was more to become. There was more nations coming their way. So this is a great list of all the nations that had been. Even the word Eber right there, you say, who is Eber? Well, Eber was a son of Seth, and he created his own nation. He had his own nation. So it's, a, it's, just, a, it's just a, it's a conglomerate of very powerful nations. And the Bible tells us here that God is going to be the one that takes charge over them. What's also interesting is this, is that out of the list here, is that there are two nations in the list, Edom and Moab, that God had actually forbidden the children of Israel to attack. So how was it that God was going to control them if the children of Israel themselves couldn't do it? It's because God himself was going to take vengeance on them in his time. All of these nations represent to us a powerful demonstration of the power of God and the frailty of nations. Generally speaking here, as I said this morning about King Nebuchadnezzar again, is that God sets up the nations and takes them down. It doesn't matter how powerful you are or how old you are. Amalek is said to be the oldest of the nations, but it doesn't matter. They will have an end too. And America, America as a nation is destined to be destroyed. We have a destiny to be destroyed. All nations, the Bible says, and Isaiah 40 and verse number 15, Behold, the nations are as a drop in the bucket and are counted as a small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the aisles as a very little thing. Listen, don't put your hope in America. Amen? Don't put your hope in the government or the politics or even in the Constitution. If you do so, you'll be miserable, you'll be mad, and you'll be frustrated. Our hope is in the Lord. 
who has the power over all of these nations. Christ is the one that is the victor. And Balaam's point here is this, is that to Balak, is that Balak, you think that you can call me here and have me curse them. And I've been trying to tell you this, and he did. Now he tried to over, overthrow the thing himself. But no, no, nonetheless, from the very beginning, Balaam has been saying to Balak the king, he's been telling him, you think that you can call me up here and you can pay me enough money to curse the people of God, but you cannot pay me enough money and you can't help me enough when we can't thwart God's purposes. If God wants to bless them, He's going to bless them. I said, I've been trying to tell you that this whole time. And Balaam's point here is this, is that, is that God is not going to overthrow this nation but he's going to overthrow the most powerful nations in the world. There are no Edomites anymore or Amalekites or Kenites. There are no Moabites or Eberites or Chittims. There are none of those people. Where are they at? I don't know any of them. That's not, what, that's not the name they go by anymore. Because those nations have been destroyed and new nations have been brought up and have been started and those nations have mixed with other nations and other things have happened. And that's the, way it's, that's the way it is, my friend. And that's the way it's always been and that's the way it's always going to be. And this nation here has its day of judgment. It has its day. And it's coming. Listen, we, we've, we've, we've murdered way too many babies in this nation to not come underneath the judging hand of God. Okay? Well, we, we have committed way too many crimes for this nation to not be judged. That's going to happen. The final, and you see it in many nations, but the, the, the overthrow of, of traditional marriage and all the rest of them, all these nations, they, they, they crumbled when that began to happen. And we're coming to that point, my friend. We're coming to that point. Even the Kenite. The Kenite's an interesting fellow. The Bible tells us here about him. In verse number 21, he says, And he looked on the Kenites, and he took up his parable and said, Strong is thy dwelling place, and thou puttest thy nest in a rock. Nevertheless, the Kenite shall be wasted until Asher shall carry thee away captive. There's Asher. Who's Asher? That's the Assyrians. Even they are going to be involved in this thing. Take your Bibles over to Revelation chapter number 6 and verse number 15. Revelation 6, 15. The Kenites are interesting people because they symbolize another people. They are symbolic of somebody else. They were a nomadic tribe moving from place to place. They did not have any real home. They made their homes though in the crags of the rocks. The Bible says, strong is thy dwelling place, thou puttest thy nest in a rock. You live in the rocks. You, they lived in the crags. They lived in the caves. And if you went out to try to fight against them, and you said, oh, they're on this mountain, they'd be on that mountain one day, and the next day, they'd be on another mountain. And if you tried to fight them, I mean, can you imagine trying to fight a bunch of people that were used to cave dwelling? I mean, it would be hard. 
I mean, they didn't have the artillery like they had back, like, like we do today, all right? They didn't have F-16s to shoot missiles into caves or anything like that or long-range sniper rifles, all right? They didn't have any of that kind of stuff. It was hand-to-hand combat. That'd be, that would be some horrible hand-to-hand combat in caves and crags, amen? I wouldn't want to do that. You couldn't pay me to get up there and do all that kind of stuff. That'd be nonsense. These were powerful people. These were people that were powerful in the sense that they could not be stopped. They couldn't be, they couldn't be taken over. But in the last days, that's exactly what's going to happen to the people of this world. The most powerful people of this world. For the Bible says in Revelation chapter number 6 and verse number 15, it says, And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men, the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man. Listen to what it says. Is, this, is there a coincidence here? That the Kenites, they hid themselves in the rocks and the crags and the caves. And there's coming a day when the chief men and all the people of the world are going to hide themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountains. And said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? I don't think there's a coincidence here, my friend. This is trying to show to us here that the Kenites had no chance against the, the Israelites. And one day there's coming that there's, this world has no chance against God. Because Jesus Christ is coming again. Alright? There's no doubt about that in my mind whatsoever. And he's going to win. And he's even going to go into the, to, the, to the caves and the crags of the rocks and he's going to pull them out. And the mountains, and they're going to say, fall on us, mountain, because we'd rather the mountains fall on us than us have to face the wrath of God. Who shall, st- who shall live when God doeth this? That's a powerful question. It's really not a question. It's really a statement found in verse number 23 that Balaam says, Alas, who shall live when God doeth this? When Jesus comes to make his final stand, who can stand against him? That's his point. Let me ask you tonight, believer, are we wasting any time standing against him? Are we trying to thwart his purposes and get one over on God? It's really the great question for us all. A great question for us all is that why would we ever try to get one over on the Lord? Why would we ever try to go against God? Do we think we're ever going to get away from the Lord? Remember Jonah? He thought he could get away from God and not do God's will. God prepared a fish. You want God to prepare a fish for you? That's not a lovely boat ride, I can tell you that much. I don't think they serve salmon and, you know, sweet tea down in the bottom of a well, okay? You don't get room service. God's will is important. And you might say, well, I'd never go against God. I'd never try to curse God or curse His people or anything like that. I understand those kinds of things. But let us be careful of how we think about this. Do we ever, do we ever, do we think we're going to get away 
from do you think we're ever do you think we're going to get away with never giving anything to the Lord? Think God's just going to be okay with that? With us never giving to God? Never giving to his kingdom? Do you think we're going to get away with never giving out the gospel? Think we're going to get away with that? We're not. Are we going to get away with lying or pride or hate or malice or lust? You think we're going to be able to get away from God with some enchantment? Some If I just say the right prayer. No, we're not, we're not getting away from God. We might, listen, I hope and I pray and I know that God can send revival to America. Okay? God can't. God can do that. I don't like anybody that says, well, God can't revive America. We're too far gone. Well, you've never read the Old Testament, all right? And how wicked the children of Israel were. Okay? We're bad. All right? But I haven't seen anybody lately sacrificing their children on hot hands of Moloch lately, okay? Maybe in the womb, yes. But open public display of human sacrifice, I have not yet, I've yet to see that, all right? That's what children of Israel are doing. And yet God still sent a revival to them. So I believe God can send a revival. And I believe God probably will even send a revival before he sends a great judgment. And we might have a revival. But that revival is only going to be for a short time because judgment is sure. The Bible even says in 1 Peter 4, 17, For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God be? The point being is that we've got to understand that God's judgment, judging hand is coming. What one of us can stop the hand of God? When a baby is being born, there's nothing to stop it. It's coming into this world. And so it is with the judgment of God. God's judgment's coming. We're not, going, we're not getting away with anything, folks. Let us never think that we are. Let us never think we're hiding something or we're able to maybe get around God's will with something. If God's calling you to do something or God's telling you to not do something, and listen, I, I hesitate to try to bring up a whole list and examples of what God wants you to do or not want you to do. I'm just saying this. If you're saved tonight and you've got the Holy Spirit of God in you, then you know what God wants you to do and what God does not want you to do. And if you try to skirt around that thing and you try to lie or scheme or cheat or try to not do what God wants you to do or if God's calling you to this or God wants you to do that and you're not doing it, listen, my friend, it's not going to be to your advantage. That's the point of what Balaam's trying to teach Balak right here. He's saying, listen, man, he's saying, you think you can get one over on God, but God's going to get one over on all the powerful nations of the world. What are you? What am I? It's better if we just submit ourselves to God. Amen? And tell God we need this old flesh. Because that's what really is, is in view here. What's in view for us is the flesh. The flesh wants to take charge. We have a spirit. We have, there's a battle within us, Galatians says. 
Galatians tells us that there's a battle between the, the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And don't you, do you not know that these two are contrary one to another? And I've got a battle in my life as a Christian man, and you've got a, your battle in your life as a Christian woman or a Christian man that God is trying to... There's a battle in our hearts uh, from, from the flesh and from the Spirit. You know who's going to win? I'll put a bet who's going to win. You say, Baptists don't bet. Well, I'll bet you this one. The one that you feed the most is going to win. It's like that old Indian chief who always won every dog fight. And finally, somebody came up to him and said, how do you always know which is going to win? He said, I always know which one has been fed the most. I know which one's been fed the most. I know which one has been this the strongest. I know which one's been taken care of. And you know what? Here's the thing about our lives is that the flesh and the spirit, I tell you who's going to win every single time, the one I feed. I feed the flesh, flesh is going to win. Flesh is going to take over. He tells us here in the text, look what it says. The flesh will be destroyed. That's my last point. And when he looked on Amalek, he took up his parable and said, Amalek was the first of the nations, but his latter end shall be that he perish forever. The Scriptures, if you look in the Scriptures, Amalek is always a picture of the flesh. Always. He says here, he was the first of the nations. He was the first of the nations. Amalek has always been an enemy of God. An enemy of us. Even when you think about it, I know Amalek wasn't around since Adam and Eve, but I'll say this, is that Adam and Eve have been even fighting with the flesh. And Cain was fighting with the flesh. The flesh has been around since the days of Adam and Eve, my friend. It's been around for a long time. He attacks the people of God in the wilderness. In Exodus chapter number 17, the flesh, or excuse me, Amalek comes on the attack and he comes to defeat the children of Israel in the wilderness. And that's the thing about the flesh. The flesh does not want you to get out of the wilderness. You say, what's the wilderness? That's the place where some of us get trapped at after we get saved. You're saved, you're born again, you're out of Egypt, but you're still wandering around in the wilderness. You're not experiencing the victory that God wants you to have in life. You don't know that Christ is the victor. You think that everything else is the victor. You're looking every other direction. You're saying, I can't get victory in my life. No, you need to realize that Christ is the victor. The flesh does not want you in promised land. All right? The flesh doesn't want you to have rest. The flesh wants you to keep living the way that you used to live. It wants you to go back to the cucumbers and the leeks and the onions and the garlics of, of Egypt. But listen, my friend, when you were back there, guess where you were also at? You were in slavery to sin. We've been saved not to serve sin, not to serve the flesh, but to serve God. The flesh always attacks the people of God. He always attacks from generation to generation. Exodus 17, 16 says, For he said, Because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. There's not a people of God that have not been infected, affected, or effected by the flesh. We've all been touched by the flesh. All of us. 
We've all felt its effects, its diseases. We've all felt the spirit of anger, of lust, of pride, of malice, of hate, of depression, of greed, of sorrow, of fear, and of discouragement. We've all felt that. You know what that is? That's the flesh. That's the flesh. Christ is the victor. Deuteronomy tells us that Amalek, whenever he did come to fight against the children of Israel, says, Remember how Amalek came to you out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way, and he smote the hindmost of thee, and he went after those that were feeble, faint, and weary, and he feared not God. That's the flesh. The flesh always goes after the faint-hearted, after the weak. I'll tell you, when you've got to really watch out for the flesh, when you're tired. Amen? When you're tired, you better be on guard and looking at, watching out for the flesh. Because you'll, you'll want to bite somebody's head off when you're tired. You know what I'm saying? You will. You better watch out for the flesh when you're stuck in Austin traffic. Amen? Because the flesh will want to rear its head up. It's that time that you put on a little Christian music right there on your, on your phone right there. Let it play. Listen to a little preaching. Amen. Find you a good preacher and put them on. That'd knock the flesh down. Start singing to God. Start praising God. I was listening to a message the other day and the preacher said, praise is the lubrication of the soul. He said, if I never praise God, he said, I'd just blow a bearing. You know, we got we to praise God. He always goes after the weak. He teams up with his older brothers and other brothers that are in the world. In Judges 3, in verses 12 through 13, the Bible says this, is that Amalek, he teamed up with Eglon, the king of Moab, and he gathered of Ammon and of Malak, and he smote Israel and possessed the city of the palms. Listen, the flesh has got friends, okay? The flesh knows where to find some bad people to hang around with. If you want something that will aggravate the flesh, then you get around some ungodly friends and start listening to their advice and start living like they're living. I'll tell you what, the flesh will get some victory. But if you get around those same friends and you start giving them the gospel, you might see those friends start to drop like flies. A spiritually weak person cannot fight off the flesh. Saul, Saul tried to kill the Amalekites, but he was too weak spiritually and he couldn't do it. David was strong, but all he could do was put them into bondage. Mordecai hung Haman, the, Ag- the Agagite, who was an Amalekite, on the gallows. And you know what? That is the only way to deal with the flesh. You know what the Bible teaches us about the flesh? You don't pet it. You don't nurse it. You don't take care of it. You know what you do with the flesh? You kill it. I'm not advocating killing anybody or killing yourself, all right? I'm speaking spiritually here. Everybody understands me, right? Amen? Everybody with me? Say amen. 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 I know I'm five minutes over, but I only got a few more verses to go. I want to show you this, though. If we're planted together in the likeness of his death, Romans says, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin, the flesh, might be destroyed. 
that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Take your Bibles over to Colossians chapter number 3 and verse number 1. Colossians 3, 1. The Bible teaches us there that we've got to kill the flesh. Galatians teaches us. Romans teaches us. The Bible says in Galatians 5, 24, as you're turning to Romans, or excuse me, Colossians, I'll read this verse to you. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh. Let me ask you a question. This is a real tough one. It's for only for seminary students. All right? What happens when you crucify something? Does it stay alive or does it die? It dies. You all just pass seminary. Amen. Crucify the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Christ is the victor. That's the message tonight. Christ is the victor. The nations are but a drop in the bucket to Him. They're nothing to Him. And the flesh... The enemy that we deal with on an everyday basis can be destroyed through Jesus Christ and His resurrection. Colossians 3, 1 says this, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Now look at this word in verse number 5. Read it with me if you've got your Bibles opened right there. What does it say in verse number 5? Just the first word. What does it say? Mortify. Does anybody know what that means? Mortification? It means to kill, to destroy, to cut off. Is what it means. Get rid of. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscences, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So I'm not fornicating with nobody, preacher. I'm not, I'm not shacking up or anything. I don't have that inordinate affection. I don't have evil concupiscence. I don't have malice or hate or anger in my heart. I'm not doing any of those things, preacher. Are we coveting? Are we looking at other people's stuff and saying, I really wish I had that? Why don't I have that? That's idolatry. We've got to cut that off. We've got to mortify that thing. Get rid of it. Get it out of our lives. You say, how do I do it? I've already read you. Are you planted? He says, if ye then be risen with Christ. Here's the first thing. Are you saved? You'll never get victory over the flesh if you're not saved. Amen? Got to be saved. Are you saved? If you are, then seek those things which are above. That's the key. Look to the things that are above. Look to the Bible. Look to the Scriptures. Read the rest of Colossians chapter number 3. I don't have time to take you through all of it tonight. Read Colossians 3. You'll find out what it is. Put off the bad things and put on the good things. Be clothed with humility. Set your affections on things above. Listen, not on things of the earth. Don't be so tied up with the earthly things. That's all going to be going away one day. Amen? Be tied up with the heavenly things. The Lord will bless you for that. You can have victory over the flesh 
For when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then you shall also appear with him in glory. Crucify it. Mortify it. The body of sin might be destroyed, but we might not serve sin. Christ is the victor. He's the victor over the nations, and he's the victor over our own flesh that we live with daily. Who are you feeding? You know how you feed the Spirit of God? You know how to feed your spiritual life? You've got to feed your life with spiritual food. Amen? This is the spiritual food. The Word of God. Do you read the Bible every day? Two times a day? Three times a day? How often do you eat? How often do you eat? How much do you read the Bible? What's more important? Physical life, spiritual life. Seek those things which are above, not the things of the earth. Physical food is of the earth, last time I checked. I love food. Amen? I do. Some of us love food, maybe more than others. I love food. I love it. But do I love this more? What's more important, physical life or spiritual life? Spiritual life. Because that is what will live forever. That's what will live forever. Let us learn, as Balaam said, Balaam didn't learn the lesson, sadly. He was just the messenger. He was the guy that held up his hands and said, don't kill me, I'm just the messenger. Whereas Paul said, kill me, I am the messenger. He was willing to take the abuse because he had taken it to heart. He wasn't just the messenger, but the message had affected him. Has the message affected you? May God help us. May God help us to see that Christ is the victor. Father, we're thankful for the word, and we pray that you please will help us to look to you, follow you in it. May God, you give us grace as we stand for you in this wicked day. May we not put our trust in nations, things, politics, or government, but may we put our trust in the Lord, Jesus Christ. Savior of all men. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.